Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, evidence-informed, practical-based. This is season two, episode number 19, and today I'm excited to be talking with Dr. Michael Lewis, author of When Brains Collide, All About Concussion. In this episode, Dr. Lewis will discuss what's going on in elite sport, youth sport, and the general population when it comes to mild traumatic brain injury. He'll review the pathophysiology of concussion, how it unfolds in two distinct phases, as well as share the four main categories of concussion symptoms. He'll then dive into the nutrition side of things and share how he made the connection between high-dose omega-3s and concussion, as well as testing for omega-3 levels and specific things to look out for in omega-3 supplements. Dr. Lewis will also discuss applications for CBD oil and its relation to cognitive issues, concussion, and much, much more. You can find all the links here to Dr. Lewis's fantastic book, as well as research papers discussed here in this episode at drbubs.com forward slash podcast, as well as my layups, the simple actionable tips. If you're interested in more on concussion strategies, nutritional strategies, and assessments, then please circle back to season one, episode number 48 with Dr. Paul Herkel. And if you're interested in more of the cognitive side of things, dementia side of things, then season one, episode number 39 with Amy Berger has got some tremendous insights there. Okay, before we get started, a quick word from this episode's sponsor, Totem Sport. Totem Sport is the world's only 100% natural supplement. No sugar, no artificial flavors, absolutely nothing added. What is it? Totem Sport is the world's purest deep ocean mineral water. Collected from natural algae blooms in the Atlantic Ocean, Totem Sport is the only sport drink supplement that contains all 78 naturally occurring minerals and trace elements. The research on deep ocean mineral water is ramping up, a recent study highlighting its major promise as the optimal rehydrating strategy over spring water and other sports drinks. Totem Sport is the evolution of hydration, the world's only 100% natural sport drink, tested and approved by Informed Sport and Informed Choice. Check out totemsport.co.uk and defy the norm. All right, let's get things rolling. Season 2, episode number 19. Enjoy. My guest today is Dr. Michael Lewis, MD, an expert on brain health and the prevention, management, and rehabilitation of concussions and traumatic brain injury. He founded the nonprofit Brain Health Education and Research Institute in 2011 when he retired as colonel after a distinguished 31-year career in the U.S. Army, and now operates Brain Care, where he fosters better brain health for people around the world. Doc, thanks so much for taking the time today. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. Great to be with you. Well, listen, before we uh, talk all things concussions here today, can you maybe give listeners a brief overview of how you got interested in uh, traumatic brain injury? Well, it, it's kind of interesting. So as you said, I, I spent 31 and a half years in the Army, and my last duty station was uh, teaching at the military medical school on the grounds of Walter Reed in the in the D.C. area. And you're around wounded warriors. You know, there's wars going on, and um, and literally I had a friend – you know, general officer friend poked me in the chest saying, what are you doing about uh, TBI? I was doing infectious disease work and um, got to thinking about it and kind of put two and two and two together and came up with an odd number and uh, went to the head of research 
at Walter Reed and said, is anybody looking at the use of omega-3 fatty acids to help our soldiers recover from traumatic brain injury? And the answer was, no, why don't you? Um, and that was a career changer. I, you know, literally got called to a meeting a couple weeks later, told I was the DOD subject matter expert on it. And at that point I knew nothing. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and unfortunately, it, it seems like um, it hasn't really progressed in the military uh, arena much since then either. So that was good 10, 12 years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, if maybe we kick things off even by talking about some statistics. You know, what's going on, uh, perhaps even before we talk military, but what's going on in, in elite sport and youth sport when it comes to uh, mild traumatic brain injury? Well, I know you got a you know a global audience, but I you know so some of this stuff will be focused a little bit uh, on the U.S. and um, you know for example, forty five million kids play youth sports, organized sports every year. Uh, you know that's a lot of a lot of people. It's bigger than a lot of countries. And, Absolutely. Uh, so 40, 45 million kids play in sports. Not you know, not all of them are playing American football and that, but about 1.1 million kids play American football. Um, soccer is probably the biggest one as far as participation. And you know, statistics are a little bit hard when it comes to traumatic brain injury and concussions. And and let me just interrupt myself for a second and say, you know, when we say concussion. A concussion is a traumatic brain injury. There's, you know, we just soften the language and call it a concussion because, you know, who wants to be told they had a traumatic brain injury? It sounds so ominous. Absolutely. So concussions, you know, so when we're talking about it all together, there's estimated based on hospital records and uh, admissions and stuff like that. There's roughly between probably three and four million head injuries every single year just in the U.S. alone. Incredible. And when we look at things like, um, you mentioned sports, and obviously we always think of um, you know, American football and rugby as being kind of the most common ones. Um, but in terms of other sports like you know, even equestrian and women's ice hockey, correct? Or those are some of the highest rates um, for traumatic brain injury, correct? Some of the worst injuries are equestrian and and uh, women's ice hockey probably on a rate basis is probably the the, the worst. Um, honestly, I, I, there's just something about uh, well, actually, some really interesting research out of Toronto um, not uh, two three years ago, and they tried to look at what what factors. Um, make people or not make people but uh what factors are associated with people having long-term symptoms or recovering quicker uh, and they really focused more on the adolescent population and what they determined they they came up with nine factors um that were really associated with good or bad recovery and it was a twelve point. It's a twelve point scale because three of those factors are so important that you get two points for that. Not in a good way either. And basically, two of those factors were being a teenaged girl. Um, so just being a teenage girl, you, uh, having a concussion, your chances of quick recovery are against the odds already. Yeah, that's shocking stuff. And is it is it down to just you know musculature at that age in terms of you know neck, upper back musculature, or is there kind of a hormonal component for females versus males? 
I I think it's both. Uh, I think they're both factors. You know, there's no magic. That's that's one of the things. You know, in today's world, we we're always looking for that magic solution or that magic answer. That you know, magic pill. Just give me a pill and everything will go away. And and we're not going to find it. And, and there is no magic um, soup. And and figuring out what are the main causes. You know, we're talking. The musculature. We're talking hormones. We're talking genetics. We're talking about one of the things that I focus on is um, on the environmental side. Is what's our nutritional status going into an injury and coming out of an injury? And and to me, that's one factor that I think gets um, doesn't get as much attention as it really should. It is just one factor, but I think to me, it's a, a major factor. Hundred percent, and looking forward to kind of digging in with that uh, on that topic with yourself. But kind of before we jump in there, maybe we can do a quick uh, you know physiology physiology review, pathophysiology review for for listeners here to get up to speed on how you know concussion unfolds in sort of two distinct phases. Can you fill folks in? Well, uh, you bring up a really good point. It is very uh, two very distinct phases, or at least it's separated out that way. And so people will often ask me. And I get contacted from people all around the world. My father had a, you know, my father had a heart attack, and he was, you know, unresponsive for 15, 20 minutes, no oxygen to the brain. Um, you know, do you think uh, what you do might help? Versus, a, a, you know, what we know of a traumatic brain injury, a blow to the head where the the brain gets rattled or rocked inside the skull. Um, perhaps a contusion from hitting the the inside of the skull. It it may not be enough to knock. It certainly very few concussions ever knock somebody out like unconscious. Um, so um, you've got that initial blow. And the reason why I brought up the whole anoxic thing is that's a primary injury. Somebody has a stroke. That's a primary injury. Chemotherapy. That's a chemical insult to the brain. I've actually gotten to the point very recently looking at um, people that are under a lot of stress. Uh, that's kind of, in a way, kind of a chemical injury as well. And so you have that primary injury, whether it's the blow to the head or you know from slipping on the ice or uh, or some of the things I just described. But they're all different. The only thing you can do about that is not get. <laughs> Avoid it, not get that primary injury in the first place. But from that point on, everything's the same. The biochemistry, the downstream effects from that point on, whether it's from a stroke, an anoxic injury from a heart attack or a, a TBI, everything, those biochemical cascades that start to occur are exactly the same after that. And that can go and that can be very short term. It can be... Um, it could be minutes, it could be hours, but it could be days, weeks, months, years, decades even. I, I would say a lot of the things we hear about CTE uh, with uh, you know, particularly American football players, but certainly not limited there. Um, CTE is and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Those are really just, in my opinion, the end stage of chronic inflammation. That's part of that biochemical cascades. Um, it's a continuum. And so to separate those out, I don't think you can. Um, 
So those biochemical cascades, and you think of in terms of inflammation, you just continue to burn and churn through the brain, destroying brain cells over time unless you correct the underlying inflammation and inflammatory uh, situation. Yeah, it's incredible how those, as you mentioned, those cascades can can be triggered many days, weeks afterwards when people would inherently sort of just think they're fine after a few days, they don't have any symptoms. And of course, the inflammation, the edema, and, you know, how do, how do things like you know, calcium, sodium, potassium changes, how does that play a role in this whole story here? Um, you know, at the, at the cellular level, um, you know, the influx and ef- and e- efflux and, uh, bleh, influx and efflux <laughs> in and out of the cell, um, certainly, uh, uh, play a, a major role depolarization, uh, too much, um, too much of, you know, of one thing inside too much flowing out, uh, you know, it gets really complicated really quick. And honestly, I don't get down in the weeds that far to pay that close attention. I, you know, I know the basics of it. I can understand it. But to me, that's so far down in the weeds. That's not what people aren't experiencing um, the potassium flow in and out of a cell. They're experiencing symptoms. And um, so I don't get down in the weeds really and, and too much in that. I, I deal with symptoms and I deal with people. And in terms of some of those common symptoms, you, you know, you mentioned in your fantastic book, um, When Brains Collide, the, the four categories on concussion symptoms from the CDC, the physical, cognitive, emotional, and sleep. For yourself in practice, what are some of the four most common, or excuse me, the most common that you see in either children or adults? Uh, fatigue over in some cases, overwhelming fatigue. I, I, you know, the best way to think about a head injury, I think, in my opinion, just, I like to kind of make it, you know, visual and simple so that everybody can understand it. And, um, to me, the best way to think about a head injury is a really bad head cold without the runny nose. So you know how you feel when you get a bad head cold. Your ears are clogged. Your your brain hurts. Your you feel like your head's been stuffed full of cotton, and all you want to do is sleep, and and you can't really think and process. Um, that's what a head injury is like. So um, you know. So those are the common symptoms too. Over, sometimes overwhelming fatigue, uh, the brain fog, uh, you know, the head stuffed full of cotton kind of thing where you just can't really think very clearly and process very clearly, that cognitive issue. Um, and uh, headaches are not as common um, as opposed to the brain fog and fatigue. Those are the two biggest ones. And I would say that uh, then uh then the headaches, and then also potentially depends on every every concussion is different. They're like snowflakes; every single one is different. Um, some people don't have issues with that, but they have issues with their their balance, their um, their ability to. Uh, you know, I always think of uh, you know the good Canadian Sidney Crosby, right? When he Absolutely. had a couple of a couple of two concussions a week apart, and you know, he passed so-called, I hate the term, but they, you know, they kept saying, oh, he's doing, he's passed his impact test, which is a cognitive processing test within a week. And he was doing, you know, 
cognitively, he was doing fine, but his balance was off. And it took him something like 12, 18 months to get back on the ice because to play at the level that he is used to playing, even when everything looked fine, when he would try to skate at game speed, he knew it just wasn't right. And that was a balance issue. Yeah, it's incredible how even at that level, the highest level, all they do to recover and everything else, as you mentioned, these things can can persist. And obviously, if, if you don't have your balance at that level, it's, it's it just can't be playing out there. Um, and of course, you know, on the nutrition front, you know, talk nutrition for concussion treatment, uh, omega-3s. You know, can you tell folks really how much of the brain is made up of omega-3s? And Well, um the uh, you know so the what they call the dry weight of the brain. So if you were to, to dehydrate the brain, you know, extract the water out. The dry weight of the brain, about thirty percent of that weight is actually omega three fatty acids. So the brain is principally made. You know, obviously we're made of water uh, for the most part, but um, but other than water, we're you know the brain is made principally of fat. Um, you know, fat and protein, but certainly. Um, um, a lot of that is fat, and the two most important fats in the brain are omega threes and omega sixes, and uh, they have very important issues. We we want to demonize omega sixes sometimes, and and I'm certainly guilty of that as well. Um, but omega sixes and omega threes are both so vitally important. You cannot build a brain without it. Literally, you um, you know both are required to make a brain in utero and um, and keep a brain healthy. The so it's really not about the omega sixes. It's what it's really about is the balance between the omega sixes and the omega threes. And as a society, the Western society, uh, we've become very out of balance. Um, way too much in favor of the very pro-inflammatory omega-6s. Yeah, it's amazing how ratio is everything. And of course, in today's food world and processed food world, you know, obviously those omega-6s in abundance um, in, in all the shelf-stable foods. And you, you also talk in, in your book about highlighting a really important point, which is sort of that classically or traditionally, there wasn't a lot done um, even on the feeding front for concussion patients and of course you highlight how head injuries can dramatically impact um, basal metabolic rate so so how important is nutrition in that early recovery period in those that initial week or so well i you know it's funny because you know i am a am a yeah i am a very traditionally trained doctor um allopathic doctor i mean my father was a small town general surgeon my mother was a nurse that was the household i grew up in i I went to very traditional uh, schools and training, and yet um, what I really, as I get older and, you know, some I, I, hopefully wiser, some people would argue that, um, <laughs> nice. um, I realize what it really gets back to is just the basics of uh, three really, really, really important basics, just, you know, nutrition exercise and sleep and so you know good sleep hygiene you know sleeping right and uh, sleeping well and you know that's a whole subject unto itself um but diet and exercise and when i say diet i mean nutritional habits and i think that's everything so what could you do to prevent or at least put yourself in a best position 
to recover or or even potentially prevent or decrease the risk of a of a concussion is diet and exercise regular good hard intense exercise on a on a regular basis but nutritionally that's the thing i think we could probably uh, affect the most and so sugar is like throwing fuel on the fire um you know so that's that's the easiest thing to not always the easiest thing to cut out but the easiest thing to point out um that needs to be uh, addressed but from a nutritional standpoint we really need to focus a lot more on uh, on a, an omega-3 rich diet and how much can we decrease the amount of omega-6s but the, the food supply works against us on that because we think we're eating healthier by eating chicken, for example. Um, but what you don't think about is what was the chicken fed? Um, and so it's the, the, the chain, the food supply the, and the chain that makes all the difference in the world. So um, when we're looking at trying to eat healthy, sometimes even the best of us can't do it completely as good as we should and that's why i think supplementation is such an important thing it's not a replacement but when we talk about supplementation it's to supplement our diet in the areas that we're not getting met um and one of those in my opinion is omega-3s is probably the biggest absolutely and of course you know you mentioned in the book as well your research in the military on that getting back to that ratio of omega-6 to threes and some of the um, studies you did in, in when you were in the military. Can you tell listeners why that ratio is so important for brain health and share maybe a bit of the uh, the findings that you had in, the, in those studies? Well, it's, you know, as we've been saying, it's really about balance. Um, so basically, in general, omega-6s, um, when you have an injury, for example, um, you know, somebody punches you in the arm or something or you fall and you hit your elbow, um, you, you need inflammation to get all the right cells in there to start the repair process, to, to, um, to clean up the damage and start the repair process. So inflammation is not a bad thing. It's actually an, a vitally important thing. And omega-6s, the downstream effects when omega-6s are released from the, the cell wall, the cell membrane, um, are really important for inflammation because that you know that's part of life but what's missing in our in today's society as opposed to a hundred years ago or 500 years ago is that balance of omega-3s and so omega-3s a lot of people say they're anti-inflammatory it's not so much that they're anti-inflammatory although there's some of that uh, but they're really pro-resolving um, and so you have inflammation from omega-6s downstream and you need those omega-3 downstream uh, factors to help resolve the inflammation. And when you're so out of balance uh, and, and instead of being in balance, we're, you know, so a study that um, I did with a colleague at NIH, we looked at, um, we look at active duty military suicides and what are the omega-3 levels of people uh, before they commit suicide? And um, it, it sounds kind of odd and tricky, but, you know, in the mili U.S. military, we have blood on everybody. We have 50 million specimens of blood sitting in a freezer. 
um, with all the data behind it. So getting blood on somebody before they commit suicide was actually pretty easy. And when we looked at that ratio, instead of even, you know, imbalance, it was actually out of balance so bad it was 25 to 1 omega-6s, pro-inflammatory omega-6s to the resolving omega-3s, 25 to 1. So Incredible. it's absolutely and, – and that colleague who's a psychiatrist, his work has really been on nutritional habits um, and mental health. And so you know, he looks at it as when, when you have a disease – the symptoms that start to first appear can be, you know, whatever, pick your disease. But um, when it's mental health or dis-ease, um, you, the, the first sign of that is typically a little more subtle. It's a, he calls it a flaky brain um, where your mental health just isn't as good as it should be. You may be more susceptible to um, uh, not handling stress as well. Um, anxiety might be an issue. Those are typically symptoms of too many omega-6s and low omega-3s. Maybe not symptoms directly, but certainly correlation, uh, association. And how about in terms of uh, testing, Doc, in terms of is there a specific blood test uh, or is there a point of care at home test that folks could use to get an idea of where they stand in terms of their omega-6 to 3 status? There are a couple on the market. Um, you know, some of the big, uh, big laboratories like LabCorp and Quest uh, will do a fatty acid panel. The problem is most doctors don't know about this. Um, they don't think to order it. Uh, certainly, the heart health realm it gets talked about, but it's not something that gets ordered on a regular basis. There are, you know, for, for your listeners, there are definitely some really good at home systems where, um, you just literally do, um, the whole kit comes in one little, little pouch and you can essentially prick your finger, put a drop of blood on a, on a piece of paper, Fold it up, put it in an envelope, and mail it off, and uh, and get it analyzed. And a lot of those home type of tests do a very simple job of explaining. Here's what your omega three index is. Here's what your six to three ratio is, and and so on. They they really keep it simple uh, and very understandable. Versus if you do a, a fatty acid panel, at, you know, for one of the big labs, it's a bunch of numbers, and you have to know how to interpret that. Uh, uh, which a lot of doctors don't. So if you can measure it, you can do something about it. And that's one of the n nice things about omega-3s and, and omega-6s is you can measure it and you can do it at home, usually for $100 or less. Um, and it's something I think that that's probably, if there's one thing I could change, um, I think it would be to get, where people know what their omega-3 levels are, like everybody knows what their cholesterol level is. Um, you know, so Heck, most people- A lot people more useful too, right? And a lot more useful, a lot more associated with heart disease, um, you know, or, or good health. Uh, but most people know what their cholesterol is, give or take uh, a, a certain amount, uh, but almost nobody knows what their omega-3 level is. 
And if we circle back to the concussions and the, you know, your use of omega-3s for concussion protocols, can you share with listeners the, the omega protocol or you know, your rationale in terms of whether it's uh, um, you know, pre-preventative or even for post-care? Well, I look at it as um, if we're so out of balance on that omega-6 to 3 ratio, there's two, two sides of the same coin. Uh, you can lower your omega-6s, which is the best answer. Uh, but as I mentioned, it's the food supply. It's not just how we eat. You know, of course, the junk food and the processed foods and stuff like that. So where, where do these omega-6s come from? So the omega-6s come from the biggest source is soybean oil. And you're like, well, I don't eat soybeans and, or, you know, but yeah, you do, um, because omega sixes are very shelf stable. So soybean, uh, soybean oil and vegetable oils are used to process food because it's very shelf stable. Where omega threes are uh, very volatile; they're not shelf stable. You put a fish out in the hot sun for a, an hour; it's going to be spoiled. Um, and so, what? What I looked at is how do we can, you know, so it's important to try to decrease your omega-6s as much as possible. And if we had better omega-6 levels, we wouldn't need to use the other side of the coin, which is where I focus on. So if you have a head injury, you should lower your omega-6s, but it's fat. So it takes months to years to really make a difference with that. But somebody with a head injury doesn't have that time. So on the other side of the equation, how do we plus up the omega-3s very as quickly as possible to balance against those omega-6s? And that was the simple approach that I took, um, is how do we up the omega-3s as quickly as possible to make a difference? And so what I do in the U.S., we um, the FDA recognizes omega-3s, uh, something called generally recognized as safe level or grass levels. And they say that um, up to 3,000 milligrams of the combined long chain omega-3s, EPA and DHA for short, um, 3,000 milligrams a day is what the FDA recognizes as generally recognized as safe. And so I took that and said, well, that's a good dose. Let's so if you're trying to be healthy, if you're every athlete, every soldier, anybody that's potentially at risk of a concussion ought to be on that generally recognized this safe level of 3,000 uh, milligrams a day. That could be anywhere from three really high quality um, uh, uh, concentrated fish oil capsules or a, table, uh, a teaspoon of uh, five mLs of liquid. Um, it may be more if it's not as concentrated. And so, but I want to, if somebody's had an injury, I want to increase that as quickly as possible. So I actually triple that dose for a short period of time for at least a week, sometimes even as much as a month. And so instead of say three capsules a day, I have people start on nine capsules a day, split it up over the day, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, take three each time. Um, because I want to saturate the body, I want to saturate the brain, I want to get that parity back as quickly as possible. And the side effect of that is that a lot of the symptoms of a concussion 
are dissipated, disappear, or at least improved very quickly, often within a day or two. You know, so the fatigue levels, the brain fog, uh, the headaches can be decreased or even eliminated sometimes as quickly as a, a day or two with those high levels and then get people down to what I would call that maintenance dose. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. And, you know, I know in your book, you talk a little bit about the use of intravenous omega-3s. Is this still something that's only, you know, available in a research setting? Um, you know, in Europe, it's available um, as nutrition, what we call total parenteral nutrition or TPN, IV nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's three products that I'm aware of right now. Um, I don't think it's changed, but there's three products available in Europe, but nobody's really using it for traumatic brain injury. They're using it um, for nutritional um, intervention when they can't feed a patient. Um, I would love to be able to do the studies in in traumatic brain injury. There's some studies that sort of touch on it, but not really set out to specifically do that. Um, and there are products that are not designed for traumatic brain injury. They're designed to handle the more nutritional needs of a, an intensive care patient. So they're gotcha. in... And like two of the three have 50% of the oil in the, in those products is soybean oil. And we already talked about that. Um, you know, and so I, I approached one of the manufacturers in Europe to the idea to, uh, take the soybean out and how do we, how do we maximize the omega threes in that? And so they put together a product that has been undergoing, Animal testing for for years. I would have thought it'd be on the market by now, but um, sometimes research just takes so much longer than you would uh, anticipate, and uh, and there's no proof that it'll work. Uh, it's not going to do any harm, but there's no proof that it'll work because we haven't gotten that far along. I have abs- absolutely every belief that uh, it, it could be a game changer. Uh, in the emergency room setting uh, to to help quickly. That, it's going to be the quickest way to change that ratio. Um, and I think that it would make a big difference in the outcomes. Um, the problem is the, uh, multifaceted. The research can be incredibly difficult, um, especially with something with as complicated as traumatic brain injury. There's been dozens and dozens of drugs and interventions for traumatic brain injury that have just failed when it came to clinical trials and not always because they were not good interventions, but typically because the study designs are so difficult to understand and, and, um, and implement in traumatic brain injury. hundred percent. I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely, definitely complex stuff. And, you know, circling back to the, uh, to the omega-3s, the DHA, in terms of supplemental forms of DHA, fish oil, krill oil, algae-based, is there a preference you have? Or if they hit their DHA targets, is that sufficient? Uh, you know, that's why it's great that you brought up, you know, can you measure it? The blood test, that's the ultimate. So ultimately, it doesn't matter how you get your DHA in particular, but your omega-3s, your EPA and DHA in general, it doesn't matter how you get them. It, what matters is what... It, what are your what are your blood levels? What's the tissue? How much is getting to a, your brain and uh, and to your tissues? And that's ultimately the the most important thing. 
I have a very strong preference towards fish oil in triglyceride form. So if you squeeze a fish, basically, you get mostly, you know, when you get the omega-3s out of a fish, they're mostly in triglyceride form. And so um, I kind of take what nature gives us, and I think that, that uh, nature's been at this a little bit longer than we have, and, uh, and, uh, and I think that's a good way to go. Krill oil... People talk about it, you know, it's phospholipid, it's better absorbed. Well, it's actually not better absorbed than the triglyceride form of fish oil. What it's better absorbed than is the ethyl ester form of uh, fish oil, which is what a lot of fish oil comes that you uh, that you would find on the market. Uh, including the pharmaceutical brands are in ethyl ester form. It's basically it's not a very good our bodies don't know how to process this we don't have the enzymes to to digest ethyl esters it's a uh, chemical form it's not even an oil anymore and so um so the phospholipid form which krill oil is you know maybe 30 40 percent of it's actually phospholipids it's not a hundred percent phospholipids um krill oil is expensive it's an expensive way to get DHA into the body um, versus a good triglyceride form fish oil. So that's that's kind of where I go. You can get a lot more. It's all about how many molecules can actually reach your brain and for at what cost. And triglyceride fish oil is is definitely the most cost effective. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. As you get into those higher doses as well, the uh, cost for krill oil can definitely be ramp up there. When we look at other therapies as well, I know you've um, lectured and talked about uh, CBD oil as well. Is there a potential application there as well for for traumatic brain injury? I I think that's the future. I I you know so um, almost all my patients in the last year for sure in the last two years uh, or so I've been started off. You know, I would start them off on fish oil and then add in CBD oil, and it's become it's making such a difference that I pretty much just, with almost every patient, just recommend starting them both right as quickly as possible uh, because it is I've found it to be so helpful. Pa- patients come back and say, "Hey, that fish oil stuff is really good, but that CBD oil has been life changing," and um, that's not something you typically hear from patients um and so it it has just tremendous application um and when we're talking about cbd oil or cannabidiol um it derived from the cannabis plant um in particular in the U- in the u.s anyway um hemp seeds and you know hemp hearts and and so on you can find at the local groceries so it's considered hemp is considered food when it um, and when something is derived from food, it's considered a nutritional supplement. So when I'm talking about hemp derived CBD oil, we're talking about something you walk into your your local holistic pharmacy and you can buy off the shelf without a uh, prescription or anything. Yep. It's so important. Um, you know, a Nobel Prize laureate published a a patent back in 2003 when he was at the NIH, he's passed away since, but um, in 2003, and the U.S. government owns a patent on 
cannabinoids as potent antioxidants and neuroprotectants and goes on to talk about the applicability of CBD in particular, non-psychoactive, it's not THC, it's not marijuana, but the non-psychoactive CBD has significant medicinal value in um, neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and dementia, as well as stroke and uh, recovery from stroke and trauma. Um, and that's that's from the guy that was awarded the Nobel Prize for his discovery of neurotransmitters. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And you know, in terms of the mechanism of action, is that happening at a you know a similar to what the action is of an omega three fish oil? Is it operating on a different um, manner in terms of supporting brain health? There's definitely some crossover. So it's um, it's a little bit different. It's much more direct. Um, action on what we now understand as our cannabinoid system uh, or endogenous cannabinoid system, endocannabinoid or ECS um, for short. And so our endocannabinoid system is this, what we now understand, this is all relatively new. Um, our endocannabinoid system is this innate system of receptors that literally controls everything on how we think, feel and react. Um, and so it, we have CB1 type receptors in the brain um, that when they are stimulated, that's when you, that's what you make when you feel good. And so a runner's high, for example, but also the way it was discovered was how does THC interact with the brain to make a person literally high uh, the psychoactive part. And so that's how it was actually discovered. So CB1 receptors are mostly in the brain. CB2 receptors are kind of throughout the body, mostly associated with our immune system. And so, again, it gets back to balance. And so when our endocannabinoid system is in balance, we think, feel, react, and and have, don't have pain, and we're where we should be. But most people are not in balance. They're either too hyper-stimulated of their cannabinoid system, but more commonly, there's a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency where uh, you know it's associated with everything from chronic pain to irritable bowel syndrome to um, anxiety and a wide variety of things. Nature gives us a way to interact with that endocannabinoid system through the cannabis plant very directly. Interesting, omega-3s also, part of their downstream effect is to interact with that endocannabinoid system as well. So that's where that crossover is. But CBD, it's like a, a direct lock and key kind of, I mean, just a direct shot right at the endocannabinoid system to, to, um, to, uh, interact with it. And the result that I've found, uh, in particular has been with anxiety, uh, whether it's from a traumatic brain injury, which pretty much everybody that's had a traumatic brain injury has an issue with anxiety or even if it's not, people that just have problems with anxiety, whether it's social anxiety, talking on a, on a podcast or uh, in front of an audience, or whether it's just general anxiety, all kinds of anxiety. Um, 
I have found it to be just unbelievable, better than any pharmaceutical out there without the side effects, without the addictive capability. Um, and it works quick and it works long. So it, it, you, most people notice an improvement within 20 minutes or so after taking it orally. And, um, and the effect can last, when you ingest it, uh, the effect can last for seven, eight hours or, or longer. Yeah, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. And you know, as it relates to the CBD, is there a certain dose then that's appropriate for folks or does that depend on, on the product? Um, it, it partly depends on the product. It mostly depends on the person. Everybody's different. It's, it's very different um, than omega-3. So with omega-3s, I talk about that 6 to 3 ratio. and We got to kind of saturate the body and the brain with omega-3s to, to uh, make a difference. Um, that was a hard thing for me to learn as a, as a healthcare provider is CBD is not that way. CBD, actually, you want to start low and increase a little bit. Um, but And everybody's dose is kind of different. I have some patients that take – so uh, I like in particular um, – I, I like the fact that uh, at least one company out there has got it now on a soft gel. So it's about the size of a vitamin D capsule. And it's 15 milligrams of CBD in a soft gel. And so I typically tell people to start off with one in the morning. And if you need one later in the day, um, take one later in the day. Or if you're having problems sleeping because your brain won't shut down. You, you know, how no, sometimes you lay down and your brain just keeps going and you can't fall asleep. CBD works great for that. That's that anxiety, that that voice in the back of the head. You want it to calm down so you can get to sleep. So some people find that if they take it in the morning, it makes them sleepy. So they don't take it in the morning, they take it. I've got patients that take three at night, and they find that that controls their anxiety, for, helps them sleep, and controls their anxiety for the next day. i got other people that take uh, two or three in the morning, and that's what controls their anxiety. And other ones space it out, or sometimes just one a day. There are occasionally, you know, some patients that that's just too much, and there's different ways to, uh, you know, you can start with smaller doses with sprays and drops and stuff like that. So um, it's really tricky. There's not, a, it's not like a drug where you, you know, here's a 15 milligram pill or here's a 300 milligram pill or capsule. Um, so finding an individual dose is can be a little bit tricky, and and that makes it a little bit frustrating from the doctor point of view, but. Um, but boy, when you find that dose for people, it literally will change their life. Yeah, it's amazing um, just the, being able to use some of these new novel tools and, of course, exciting times in terms of the research and being able to see uh, the applications as well as you mentioned, the limitations of side effects, especially uh, you know whether it's elite sport and things like concussion-related sports like, like football. I mean, recently they're talking about removing the kickoff in football because of the you know, four or five-fold increased risk of concussion there. As you mentioned, general population, there's so many uh, mild traumatic brain injuries occurring. Um, so, Doc, I mean, phenomenal insights here. Before we wrap up, a couple of questions for you. Um, you know, what's the evolution of concussion support and treatment? Is it some of these novel therapies? Is it some of the research that might come out uh, to support some of them a little more deeply? Uh, where, where do you see that in terms of the evolution? <laughs> I wish I knew. Um <laughs> 
Uh, you know, I just uh, literally was having a conversation yesterday afternoon with the the, the president of a major university uh, about this topic and um, and how it relates to the U.S. Army and how it just yeah I wish I knew. Um, where do I think it's going? You know, everybody's focused on diagnostics. Um, you know, I just saw before we got on. Uh, on here, um, got an email asking about um, the a blood test uh, for concussions, and so everybody's really focused on diagnostics, which is great. I mean, I, I think that's important. Um, so many clinical trials have tried and failed to uh, be effective for traumatic brain injury. Uh, clearly it doesn't matter how, you know, it's great, you know, that you can tell somebody they've had a concussion or whatever. My question is, what are you going to do about it? And the problem is there isn't anything. Our, our acute care, um, you know, uh, the brain trauma foundation and the, and the guidelines they put out for the, um, for the acute trauma care of a head injury are absolutely unbelievable. I mean, what, neurosurgeons are capable of doing, you know, and learned on the battlefields of Iraq and Afghanistan have been unbelievable. But once you're through that acute phase and we kind of get into that chronic phase or a concussion that didn't require somebody to, you know, be admitted to a hospital or even go to a hospital, we don't have anything. And I think to me, these alternative, what's you know, often called alternative therapies such as hyperbaric oxygen. Um, I believe nutrition, uh, nutritional foundation is really important. The other area that I've really embraced in the last couple of years is looking at the pituitary gland and its downstream uh, function. What does that brain injury do to your thyroid levels, your estrogen, your progesterone, and most importantly, your testosterone and growth hormone levels. And what are you going to do about it? So um, find that at least in, in uh, younger men that are suffering the effects of uh, concussions and even PTSD, um, if you get their, if you correct their testosterone levels, most of those symptoms go away. So I, I think it's going to be these a, a hybrid. There's no one single answer. You've got to have a toolbox with a bunch of tools in there because everybody's different. Every injury is different. But I think some of these so-called alternative therapies are not so alternative. They're necessary and, and especially when you use them in combination can make all the difference in the world. If you correct the nutritional foundation and correct the hormonal foundation, um, a lot of things just fall back into place. Yeah, it's fascinating how um, these complex problems, how some of these interventions that are, you know, as you mentioned, the nutrition, the, the, the movement, the sleep, they impact so many pathways. So we get that multifactorial approach from some of these things that are sort of less at the tip of the spear as in terms of a surgery or a medication. So it's really, really fascinating stuff. And you know, if we had to ask you as well, sort of that the biggest take-home message then that you would give perhaps an athlete or client who's recovering from a mild traumatic brain injury, uh, what would that be? Uh, I, I want to throw in one quick thing before I answer that, and that uh, you keep talking about, um, you know, elite athletes. And let me point out, this is actually kind of really big, is that 
when we're talking about CBD, um, the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, that does the, the banned substance testing for Major League Baseball, NFL, FIFA soccer, MMA, all the major professional sports, right? They do all the drug testing. Oops, sorry about that. Um, so they do all the drug testing. As of January 1st, 2018, this year, they no longer test for CBD, they believe that it is so valuable in the recovery from athletic performance that they no longer test for CBD. Um, yeah, that's huge. Fantastic. So um, anyway, takeaway message. Um, I would say my biggest thing and the reason why I wrote When Brains Collide, uh, which I'll, I'll just throw out that it's available on Amazon in the UK and Canada, actually all around the world, it's uh, it's available uh, on Amazon, uh, when brains collide, I say it's a book about hope because when you're told that you've had a head injury, there's nothing you can do. And even worse, you know, go sit in a dark room or something like that, which is absolutely horrible advice. Um, when you're told there's nothing we can do for your head injury, only time will heal the brain. I don't believe that. I didn't accept that. And I'm out to disprove that. So it's a book about hope that there is more you can do. Um, may not be standard of care medicine now. Hopefully it'll be someday. But um, so the biggest message I would say is, is don't accept that fate. Go out and find what works for you and, and start with the nutritional foundation. Phenomenal. Well, we'll definitely include the link to um, the book there. And, and where can folks stay connected with you, uh, Doc, and keep up with your fantastic work? Um, well, I, when I retired from the Army, I started um, Brain Health Education Research. Um, BrainHealthEducation.org um, is the website, BrainHealthEducation.org. And I put a lot of information out there. Um, I put out a Used to be a weekly newsletter, and I just I've gotten so busy, I'm struggling to keep up with that. Uh, about what's what's latest news going on in the world of TBI and nutrition, um, and BrainCare.Center, not .com, but BrainCare.Center is my my pra my practice website. Uh, there's a little bit more information there, but uh, mostly BrainHealthEducation.org is probably the best place for people to turn. In addition to the book. Fantastic. We'll definitely include a link, um, those links there and the link to the book as well in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast. Uh, Doc, thanks so much again for taking the time. Fantastic uh, read the book and all the phenomenal work that you've done. So, And thanks again for everyone else tuning in. If you have any questions for Dr. Michael Lewis or want to leave a comment on today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at drbubs. Your comments are graciously appreciated, so keep them coming. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, take a minute, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite platform, and leave us a comment. Thanks again, everyone, and see you guys all next week. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.